This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. I'm your host Ajit. So let's first kick off today's episode by tests, the just concluded England versus New Zealand test. So this was a real thriller of a test where the pendulum and the momentum kept swinging one way and then the other very quickly. Having elected to bat first, New Zealand could not really put up much of a total. Thanks to Colin de Grandholm's 42 and uh, 26 by Team Saudi, they were able to get to a 132. And at one point in time, let's say at 6 for 36 or so, it could have happened that they were uh, bowled out for much lower than that. So the main destroyers for England were James Anderson, who took four, and debutant Matthew Potts, who took four as well, and Stuart Bod taking one, Ben Stokes taking the other wicket. The other, let's say, unfortunate thing as far as England were concerned was their spinner, Jack Leach, got ruled out due to a concussion as he suffered a rare injury fielding near the boundary trying to stop a ball and in his place came Matthew Parkinson for his debut. Following from that, when England chose to bat, they got a very strong position, 2 for 92 with Crawley the opener making 43 and the other opener Alex Lees making 25 but then they couldn't capitalize on that with only Joe Root making 11, the only double digit score after that and they were 141 all out early on the second morning. For New Zealand, the main destroyers of the batting were Tim Saudi who took four, Bolt who took three, Colin de Grandom who took one wicket and then Kyle Jamieson who took two. So when it came their turn to bat again, New Zealand were once again in a bit of trouble at 56 for four when Devon Conway was dismissed. But what followed was a wonderful counter-attack initially based on solid defense and then slowly with a lot of runs coming as well with Darrell Mitchell scoring a hundred, his second hundred and first away from home, a hundred and eight, and then Tom Blundell, who supported him beautifully, but was very unlucky to miss out on a hundred, was dismissed for ninety-six. For England, the destroyer in chief was Stuart Broad, who took three for seventy-six, and then Matthew Potts, again the debutant shining, taking three for fifty-five. James Anderson chipped in with two, while the debutant Matthew Parkinson got the wicket of Tim Saudi, the last of New Zealand innings to fall as his made in international wicket. Now, chasing 277 was not going to be easy because it was only the third day of play, but there was plenty of juice left in the wicket and the New Zealand bowlers would have their tails up. This was not going to be an easy chase for England. And that's how it started out because they lost Alex Lees, who was actually the aggressor in the initial partnership, who made 20, and then Zach Crawley back-to-back. And so they were two for 32. And then... Oli Pope played a couple of beautiful shots, but then was soon dismissed, making it 3 for 46. Then came the main partnership, so to say, where you would expect Joe Root and Johnny Bairstow to put up a big total and rescue England. But Johnny Bairstow, who looked adventurous, made 16 of just 15 balls and was out. That brought in the captain, Ben Stokes, and him and Joe Root set about repairing. For me, I think the most crucial moment of the game came when Ben Stokes was bold taking a walk at Colin de Grandholm and chipping the ball onto his wicket only to be reprieved because it was a no ball. So it was Ben Stokes' birthday and, well, Colin de Grandholm probably feeling a bit generous gave him a chance. 
this was quite a turnaround because from that point on, Ben Stokes, who made 54, and then Joe Root, who made an unbeaten 100 at the end. But these two together put on a wonderful, wonderful partnership of 90 runs, which more or less gave England the confidence that they could chase this total down. But even when Ben Stokes was dismissed, there was 120 runs still required for New Zealand to, you know, take their five wickets. But Joe Root and then Ben Fawkes played very conservatively to see out the day. And on the next morning, with just 61 runs required, they opened up their shoulders and got the runs very quickly. So England finished comfortable winners, scoring the 279 runs required with just five wickets lost. And even though Kyle Jamieson bowled valiantly to take a 4-4, he did not get the same amount of support from his other bowlers, uh, Tim Saudi and Bolt. And Colin de Grandom, who was bowling a very crucial spell, retired hurt with a heel injury uh, soon after that, no ball. That moment, the half an hour, where Ben Stokes looking adventurous and a bit uncomfortable and then dismissed and then reprieved and then Colin de Grandom having to walk off, these were very crucial as far as New Zealand were concerned and that's when the match turned. Even though Daryl Mitchell could have bowled and Ajaz Patel give a go, the English batters would have none of that. Ajaz Patel was targeted and then that meant all the pressure was on Jamieson Bolt and Saudi, who for a period bowled dry, but then eventually the England batters got on top of them. So all in all, a wonderful, wonderful, thrilling test. It may just be a four-day test or even three-day test looking at all the time lost. But England's new test era with coach Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes as captain has started off on the right foot. And Joe Root, in the course of his 26th hundred, has crossed 10,000 test runs. And always making a fourth innings hundred to win the game will be special for any batter. So well done, Joe Root. Well done, England. And a lot to look forward to if you're an English fan. Because this win from twice in the game where they were quite behind to come back and you know, take victory will give a lot of uh, hope for their fans. They have this tour and then one test against India and then a three test series against South Africa. So a lot for them to look forward to. So beginning of a very exciting English summer, it must be said. Moving on, we can take a quick look at the West Indies tour of Netherlands where they played three ODIs. They themselves had sent a slightly inexperienced squad led by a new captain in Nicholas Puran. Captain Nicholas Puran must be very happy because his squad took the series 3-0, but the batsman Nicholas Puran must be a bit disappointed because he could not make a you know a major contribution in any of these games. I was very lucky to be uh, watching the first game of the series live with another major contributor to our podcast. And we sat there and we got to enjoy the whole game in what must be said, slightly cold and slightly varying conditions. So uh, two hours of play was lost due to rain, but then there was enough time to be made up and the whole game was played out. This is the first ODI, which was played in Amsterdam. In that game, we also got to see Shai Hope make 100. So that was a very, very special match as far as I'm concerned, because it was my first time going back to the stadium to watch an international game and I got to see 100. And the quality of cricket was of very high quality, what we got to see. Even though Netherlands, they got to bat twice. First, after having lost the toss and being invited by West Indies to bat first, they could not really make a very big total. So they always got good starts. Vikram Jit Singh made a bunch of very good 40s and then a 50 in the final game. Max Dowd had a good start in three innings. In the first ODI with five hours lost to rain, their total of 240 looked really strong. But then 
Shai Hope and Shamar Brooks, who opened along with him, made short work of that by adding 120 for the first wicket. Even though they lost Nkrumah Bonner of the very next ball after Brooks, making it 120 for two, that was not going to be much of a problem because Nicholas Puran had failed, but Brandon King made a wonderful 58 at 110 strike rate. And then Shai Hope continued unbeaten to get his 100 and then finish off 119 not out. That meant, you know, West Indies won with 11 balls to spare. In the second ODI, it was pretty much a similar sort of a score because Netherlands again were invited to bat first and they could only make 214 and this time they were all out. Again, Vikramjit Singh, 46, Max out 51 and a solid 68 at number three from Scott Edwards. But nobody else went on to make a double-digit contribution. That meant, you know, from a very strong three for a 117, Netherlands collapsed and they were 214 all out. So Akhil Hussain took a 4-4 in the second ODI. And when it came their turn to chase, West Indies themselves did not have a whole lot of good scores. And at 4 for 60, the match sort of hung in balance. But Brandon King, who made an unbeaten 91, and then Kyle Myers and Casey Carty, the debutant Casey Carty, made enough runs between them with Brandon King remaining 91 not out to take West Indies to a comfortable victory. This was never going to be a case of run rate pressure, but just playing out time, which they did very well. When it comes to the last ODI, West Indies, having won the toss, chose to bat first. And this gave a very good chance for their batters to put up a big total, which they duly did. So Shai Hope opened with Kyle Myers for the first time. And Shai Hope was dismissed for 24, making a solid platform for West Indies to build their big total on. And that's what they did with Kyle Myers scoring 120 and Shamar Brooks, who made a very measured 100, batting at number three, his first one-day international 100. In fact, it was the first one-day international 100 for both Myers as well as Brooks. And even though they couldn't really motor along as fast as they would have liked in the last 10 hours, they got to 308 for five. At least the bowling of Netherlands would feel a bit okay, having contributed to make sure West Indies did not get away to a huge total. Their batting started wonderfully. Vikramjit Singh, 54. Max Rodaud, 89. Musa Ahmed at number three, a runner ball 42, Bastelida better than runner ball 25, and Scott Edwards 18. But then towards the end, requiring something like 80 runs of the last nine, nine and a half overs, Netherlands wilted, they couldn't really mount much of a chase. And Logan Van Beek made 15, Peter Silla, the skipper, who sort of kept himself towards the end of the game to try and win the game, could not do it, and they were 288 all out. This meant West Indies took the series 3 0. They played a lot of new people in their squad, including Casey Carty, including Sherman Lewis, a fast bowler. Also, many test match regulars got an outing. For example, Philip, who was a test match bowler, got an outing in one day as well. Akil Hussain and Hayden Walsh got to play most of the games. Nkrumah Bonner and um, Kyle Myers, who are not regulars in the one day squad, Shamar Brooks as well, got an outing and they made it count. So all in all, a successful tour for West Indies. As far as Netherlands are concerned, they would be really disappointed to have not converted even one of these games to a victory. They have more international cricket to look forward to this summer with New Zealand and then England and then eventually Pakistan coming to tour Netherlands. So they'll want to start winning and try to convert one or two games in each of these series to a victory in the upcoming series. If you look at some of the other international cricket going on. Afghanistan had their first one-dayer against Zimbabwe, played in Zimbabwe, in Harare, in fact. So this was a very interesting game because Afghanistan started very steadily, solidly, and though they lost two wickets quickly, 
it was very clear what they were looking to do. They were looking to build a platform with Rahmat Shah batting at number three and Hashmatullah Shahidi scoring only about a strike rate of 50 or 60. They built a solid platform up until 37, 38th over where both of these batsmen then went into T20 mode and then started scoring runs very briskly. So from 150, 152 for two in about 37, 38 overs, they accelerated wonderfully to finish 276 for five. It reminded one very much of a one-day innings from the 90s, so to say. And then Rashid Khan, towards the end, made a blistering 39 of just 17 balls. And even though Rahmat Shah, who made 94, and Hashmatullah Shahidi, who couldn't complete the hundreds, they did really well to, you know, lay that platform. And between them, they added 181 runs for Afghanistan for the third wicket, which was a record. Musarabani took four wickets, but the total, even though it did not look to be too daunting, with the spin attack and with the varied attack with their bowling that Afghanistan bring was a very tough ask for Zimbabwe. Innocent Kaya, debuting, made 39, but he scored slowly, scoring only at a strike rate of 50. Craig Irwin, the captain batting at number 3, looked comfortable, but was dismissed for 30. And only Sikandar Raza, who made 67, put up any sort of a challenge. As far as Afghanistan was concerned, a fast bowler, Fazil Haq Faruqi, took 2. And then Rashid Khan took 2 and Mohammad Nabi took 4 to make sure Afghanistan won the game quite comfortably. In the ongoing Sri Lankan women's tour of Pakistan, Sri Lankan women had lost the T20s, 3-0, and in the one day they were already 2-0 behind. But finally, in the last one day they were able to convert it to a victory. Batting first, they made 260 for 7, thanks to 100 from their skipper Chamari Atapattu, and then 75 from Harshita Madhavi. These were built slowly. They again pretty much built a big partnership and then built a platform which... Uh, Kavisha Dilhari and Nilakshri De Silva converted towards the end. And well, this turned out to be a very big total that Pakistan's middle order and top order who've been doing really good throughout this series couldn't convert it. Sidra Amin, who finished the player of the series, could not again make a big contribution, was dismissed for 19. Umayma Sohail made 40 and Aliyah Riyaz made 56, but that meant Pakistan women were 167 all out. But it was still a very successful tour as far as Pakistan, the hosts, were concerned because they won the T20 series 3-0 and the ODI series 2-1. Now, if you were to quickly take a look at some of the cricketing news off the field. So, Mominul Haq has resigned as the captain of Bangladesh Test Team and with no other really good contenders to fall back on, the captaincy has been handed over to Shakib Alasan. There were some mutterings about whether he was the good candidate because maybe somebody like Lytton Das could have been made the captain. But Lytton Das's development as a batter has not been, uh, let's say, as quick as the Bangladesh board had hoped. And they would want to give him a bit more time to become a more mature batter. And therefore, he's been appointed Shakib's deputy. There were also other candidates like Tamim, but again, Mushfiq, but these were very experienced candidates who have had the role in the past. But in this case, given that Shakib has made himself available for tests and has committed to playing more tests in the future, it probably was the right thing to do and appoint Shakib as the captain. In other news, we already know that Gujarat Titans took their first title. A debuting team for the second time in IPL took the title after Rajasthan Royals had done it in the very first season. When we look at this team, we can see that there are no big stars. They don't have the purple cap or the orange cap. But what they do have is a wonderful leader in Hardik Pandya, who I think believed in a lot of hard work behind the scenes and staying cool on the field and staying cool when the conditions were a bit tough. 
he had wonderful support from david miller and shubman gill who both won a game themselves pradiman saha contributed very well mohammad shami and loki ferguson was steady mohammad shami in fact played 16 games and then rahul tewatia i think uh, again contributed to win one or two very tough games rashid khan's contribution can never be overlooked as well so overall you can see there were such a lot of contributions throughout their squad rather than having one or two really big contributors like for example rajasthan had both josh butler as well as yeshwinder chahal so rajasthan you can see is such a contrast because they had both the purple and the orange cap but they couldn't really convert it to a tournament victory they did really well to get to the finals they were also deservedly in the finals having beaten rcb but gujarat titans never looked like they were going to put a foot wrong in that final and they were deservedly the winners of ipl 2022 a lot we can look forward to from hardik pandya the captain as well as player as it as far as you know his chances for india are concerned because with this he has put his foot forward to be the successor for rohit sharma at least when it comes to limited overs cricket let's see if that comes through once rohit sharma calls time on his career when it comes to the upcoming T20I series between India and South Africa. So first of all, if you look at the South African squad, South Africa have chosen to give a chance back to all the players who played in the IPL as well as a few of them that were missing from their squads previously. So Demba Bavuma is the captain. Quinter de Kock comes back. Aiden Makram, David Miller, Lungi Engidi, Enric Norkia and Kagiso Rabada, all of these who played in the IPL have been brought back. Meanwhile, Wayne Parnell, Wayne Pretorius have been brought back. as you know all rounders while tristan stubbs who was the second highest scorer in their recently concluded local t20 series in south africa has also been selected that's the only new name as far as south africa are concerned with rasif andredusian marco jansen also finding a place in the squad when it comes to india they have chosen a slightly bigger than normal squad with kl rahul being handed the captaincy and they have rested some of the regulars in the form of jasprit bumrah mohammad shami Rohit Sharma the skipper himself Virat Kohli Pant has been retained in the squad as the vice captain so the new names that we get to see as far as T20 squads are concerned Yashwinder Chahal has made a comeback Kuldeep Yadav has made a comeback Arshdeep Singh has been given a go and Umran Malik has been included in the team and Dinesh Karthik much to many fans delight has made a comeback to the T20 squad giving him a chance to audition for a role for the World Cup all in all a very strong indian team a 18 men strong indian team that will be taking on south africa in in the t20s meanwhile in the other news kyle kutzer has stepped down as the scotland skipper so the 38 year old who has led his team in 110 out of his 214 appearances and even made a century against bangladesh in the 2015 world cup has been one of their mainstays so he stood down from the captaincy but he will continue to play the game for his country so we wish kyle coach of the player all the best going forward those are all the news that we want to discuss in this episode of anchor cricket podcast we wish that all our listeners do keep coming back and give us feedback and let us know what they think about our content so far thank you very much we wish all our listeners a good day wherever they may be listening from bye bye this is the armchair cricket podcast